Hi, welcome to Howlcast. This is an emergency episode, uh, a little emergency broadcast here. We have, um, we're talking about the Washington uh, mountain lion population, and we're talking about the Blue Mountain elk herd. And uh, there is a commission meeting this Saturday coming up. Um, Friday, they're actually talking about spring bear. So uh, you want to get in on that, please do so. Um, we have things set up on Alpha Wildlife. If you go to the calendar, um, to be a part of, or participate in the meeting, you can, uh, but Saturday is on the agenda to talk about this, uh, blue mountain elk herd. So this is, um, this is important stuff. Take a listen to the podcast, get involved. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Howcast. Uh, this week we are going to talk with uh, Bart George in Washington uh, about mountain lion hunting and about the Blue Mountain um, elk herd and some of the concerns and issues that are going on over there. Uh, I have Charles Whitwam with me on the line, and we are we're gonna kind of see if we can't put make some sense out of this and get some great information from Bart. Um, so. Um, so just, um, people know who Charles is. Let's, let's jump into, uh, a little bit about Bart here and then we'll, we'll hit some questions. Yeah. Uh, thanks. I'm the wildlife program manager for the Kalispell tribe. It's a tribe up in Northeast Washington. Um, been with them for 10 or so years, but I've been doing cougar work in this area, um, in different capacities for about 15 years. Um, started off as a wildlife biologist. I'm also you know, a hunting guide up in North Idaho. I've had hounds. I own, I keep dogs still and use them for my current research. Um, I'm just kind of keen to all things cougar related in, in, in the Northwest and North Idaho and, and particularly in Washington. Awesome. So you're running a couple different, uh, lion research projects right now for, for the tribe. Is that correct? That's right. I've got uh, one research project, oh, one. Okay. Um, but it, but it's a big one. It's a lot of work and a lot of field work and really um, intensive field work. Um, so we're using hound handlers. I've got a couple of folks helping um, that are you know professionals and and hound handlers also. So what we're trying to figure out is um, if we can effectively um, prescribe some sort of aversive conditioning to cougars and. What we want to know is over time, after a cougar has been you know, chased and pursued by dogs, but not killed, just treed and whatever hazed. had its photo taken. Yeah, yeah hazed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that cougar respond? And does it respond in such a way that it learns to avoid people and homes and pets and things like that? And um, that project started because we really saw an increase in depredations. Um, we saw a whole bunch of cats causing trouble and then subsequently being killed. Um through agency removals and you know the tribe's perspective on that was um you know the that cat being killed through an agency removal is essentially a wasted opportunity for somebody to use you know a hunter to legally harvest and um, that cat going into the dumpster is also kind of a shameful waste so Mm -hmm. we started thinking about ways to kind of create some sort of proactive response when a cat's hanging around a neighborhood or hanging around a farm it's been spotted but it hasn't really caused trouble like is there something that we can do and have some um you know expectation that that cat is going to respond to our hazing and pursuits and different things um, and it's really trying to provide another tool to our our wdfw enforcement staff awesome um uh, and if you if you can't speak to this that's okay but uh what kind of results are you seeing or or is it too early still for you to speculate? You know, I haven't, yeah, I haven't done a really big deep into the data and that's going to be a heavy lift because we are generating a whole bunch of data. Um, I'll give you a kind of a, what were the points that are important to us is, um, you know, we approach this cat with a speaker and as we're walking up to that cat, we're, we have a Garmin actually like you put on a dog, the similar body and style, but this collar can um, give us two second updates on that cat location to our handheld. So I know where I'm at and I know where the cat's at and I'm approaching it with a 
you know, speaker playing 80 decibel talk radio, mm-hmm. uh, just human voice stimuli. And I'm grabbing the, you know, how close does that cat let me get? And then how much energy does it use to escape me? Um, and we're, we're repeating that weekly over the course of a month. So each cat has, you know, those three points, my location, its location, and how far it goes, the end location, um, four different times. And we compare that cat's data back to itself to see how its behavior has changed over the course of this hazing right, right. regimen. Right? Um, so right now the data, like I said, is pretty preliminary, but the ones that I've kind of crunched in, we definitely see a, a trend um, increase in distance uh, for cats that have been hazed. Um, you know, somewhere around two to 300% increase for most of them. Um, but I don't want to get ahead of myself with right, that right, kind of right. number yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, the more, you know, there's some other really compelling, you know, maybe a little bit anecdotal, but compelling, um, evidence that it's working. So, you know, the WDFW had a pretty robust predator prey project in Northeast Washington. Um, Bruce and I volunteered, helped them capture and collar the cats for that study. We ended up collaring 29 of those cats, um, over the course of the next few years, those you know, we saw, we revisited a lot of those cats incidentally when they were involved with depredations and they were removed. Um, they, don't, okay. they don't get a pass because they're collared. We killed them. So over the course of the, you know, next couple of years after collaring those cats, we killed like, you know, a third of them. Oh, wow. Um, you know, so, so a dozen or 15 or something like that. So, you know, I've collared and ear tagged and hazed just over 40 cats in, in the same region. I mean, in the same drainage, same areas. Um, over the last three years, and we've had only one of those cats return and cause any trouble as a, as a depredating animal. Well, that, that Um, sounds good. I mean, that's great. That's great that, uh, that there's hope for what you guys are, you know, trying to accomplish there. Um, but what it does sounds like is there's no shortage of cats in that area. Oh my God. That's a lot of cats you got caught in this, you know, relatively small zone, right? Yeah, no, there's very few days that, um, you know, we have a handful of really good hound handlers working with me and um, Bruce and Jeff Flood from the Stevens County Sheriff's Department has good dogs. And there are very few days that the three of us between us can't go find a cougar to catch and and work on if that's what we want to do. Nice. And, you know, we're also getting reports constantly. Um, There's always cats hanging around people's yards and things like that. So Mm. there's lots of work. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it sounds like one every day. Um, I think that's what what's his name, Jeff Flood. Is that his name? Yeah. Um, in the video you did with uh, with Giannis, uh, it sounds like yeah. they get they get calls basically every day. I was absolutely amazed, and I learned a lot about just from that one scene where I think you got seventeen yards from that cat before it left. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. And 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 I'm just sitting there thinking, yeah, all right. I'm just walking by him all the time. <laughs> how, how many times? How many times have we been in that situation? <laughs> yeah, God. and and that's why a lot of times you don't see them taking off and running because they're not. They're just sitting there. Yep. No, they they lay in like. I mean, if it's big enough to hide a whale, a cougar can hide in there. It's been really interesting to watch that and learn that. Um. I'm gathering a lot of control data right now and I'm, I'm really getting close to cats yesterday. I kind of have a limit. I won't go within 10 meters of a cat. Um, and I, usually I don't see them even at 12, at 10 meters. So yesterday I got within 10 meters of one and I had my bear spray out, uh, safety off, like ready. Um, and that cat's laying, he's on a deer kill, maybe 30 yards off of a busy, like blacktop road gets a lot of traffic and a lot of foot traffic and bicyclists and um he's sitting there on that kill i've got 20 data points for the last you know four days he's sitting right there watching literally hundreds of vehicles a day and it just doesn't mean anything to him (laughs) Um, it didn't mean anything to him for me to approach him and this is control data so first time i approached him with that human voice going we didn't haze him we haven't been hazing him we're just approaching him and backing away without any negative interaction and we're watching those distances shrink and shrink and shrink down to this, you know, I think the last three Tomcats that we've had control callers on and, and done this 
I, I end up at that 10 meters on them wow. um, every time. So they, it's really an interesting way to sort of uh, describe and, and demonstrate habituation. So if these animals are around people and nothing bad happens to them, they figure that out just as much as they do if something bad does happen. Right. Yeah, it's uh, to the whole Pavlov's dog uh, type of mentality, I guess. Right. Or uh, right, yeah. yeah. If, I mean, if everybody out here saw a cougar in their yard instead of grabbing their cell phone and and taking pictures of it, grabbed a paintball gun or a shotgun, mm -hmm. um, I think a lot more cats would stay away from houses. Oh yeah, yeah. So I live in an area in California where they're they're. There's a lot of mountain lion. There's a lot of mountain lion in California, but specifically in this little surf town I live in, everybody has ring cameras and all that. And there's mountain lions on cameras every day, and pets go missing. And and when I hear you you talking, so you know people are out on their back porch having dinner or whatever, and there's mountain lions. I mean, because we're we're just you know it's there's it's residential, but it's backed right up to canyons and all you know mountain lion territory. Um, so I'm just imagining them. They're like, all right, well, we hear people all the time. Nothing happens to them, to us. And we can just keep getting closer and closer and their pets in their yard. And we can see it through the fence and mountain lion jumps over, gets it and takes off. And it never really has any negative interact, you know, interactions like what you're saying. And that's, I don't know. I'm just kind of listening to what you're saying. I've been trying to figure out, I just figured these cats were scared of people. I mean, they are, but letting you get 10 meters i mean that's a different i don't know of another you know besides maybe a rabbit or something there aren't a lot of animals that let you get that close right yeah that's you know, a bear a bear doesn't let you get that close you know um i guess it just knows it can hide it's just it's it's really been fascinating watching that video and, and listening to the things you've been saying it's amazing yeah it's been interesting for us too like i had no idea um, and even at 10 meters, you know, I'm sitting there with that, that speaker droning on and I didn't know that cat had left until I saw it on the Garmin. Like I, I didn't see it leave. It slipped out of there like a ghost. Um, they're fascinating <laughs> animals. They're really cool, but it's unnerving when they're like, man, they've, they've really got the upper hand on us out in the woods. Yeah. 10 meters. Jeez. That's like one leap away from you. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like you said, they're not necessarily, it's not that they're afraid of us, but they definitely don't want that interaction with people almost, mm -hmm. you know, they don't want that. Um, mm -hmm. So don't get the sense that I'm like trying to make people afraid of cats, but they like, we could do a better job of making cats more afraid of us. Sure. Yeah. Understood. Understood. Uh, Charles, Charles actually had an awesome cat interaction last Turkey season. <laughs> was... Yeah. Calling, calling turkeys. And, and <laughs> thankfully I was looking in the right direction because and this all happened really fast. So it's, it's, you know, my explanation will take a minute, but this was like three seconds, but I'm looking into some brush. I'm sort of in an opening. I have a client next to me and I can see something moving. It didn't look right to me. It, you know, I knew something was wrong. And by the time I stood up, um, without really processing that it was a mountain lion, it was now facing me. And then I'm like, okay, mountain lion. I just started making noises. I don't even know what I said. The client next to me was like, what are you doing? He had no idea what was going on. He thought I just stood up and had a stroke or something. And it took one leap at me. And it was about, yeah, it was about 10 yards away, maybe less. And I didn't have a gun or anything. And, you know, he, he did, but I don't know if, I don't even know if he saw it at this point. And it finally, it clicked. I saw them. I was so close. I could see the lion's eyes. It clicked that I wasn't a turkey. And I saw its eyes just go really wide. And it was about to leap onto me. And it just, it leaped, but it just went to the left, you know, <laughs> like right by me and kept going. And I'm, and I'm sitting there going, holy. And then he finally sees it. Um, and then it was just the craziest thing because three seconds later, Turkey started some hens were, were behind us. And I'm like, all right, um, I'm going to keep calling, I guess. I mean, the mountain, <laughs> the mountain lion's gone. I'm not afraid of that anymore. And then here come, here come two gobblers down the trail from the direction the mountain lion just came from. And I go run up to that tree. They're coming down this road because it's all thick on both sides. So it's really the only way to come through. 
He sets up right there. Two gobblers come in. Boom, he gets his first turkey. And I'm sitting there shaking, right? <laughs> and I, I run down to him, and I'm like, grab that turkey. Let's go somewhere else. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't. What just happened? You know, because he eventually saw the mountain lion. And then we, you know, we went back up to where I guess we, we just felt a little better. But it was just, oh, it man. was the craziest experience. And I remember, I remember looking at it, but I couldn't hear it. I'm like, I, what's going on? And it, the way it moved through this brush, which I feel like I couldn't even crawl through, it was like lightning, you know? And, and it was on me so fast. Um, I just, man, even talking about it, I get chills because had yeah. I been looking somewhere else, it would have been right in my lap. Oh, yeah. It was like the most exciting three minutes of turkey hunting ever. Oh. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> such a wild story. So anyway, so yeah, yeah sorry, sorry yeah, to take uh, us right. off on that ta- tangent, but I just thought it was a no. I love that. <laughs> I mean, that's a good, that's a good thing though. Like that mountain lion kind of made your turkey hunt story, right? That like eclipses the yeah, you know, killing the gobbler is awesome, awesome, right? But like, people should be excited to see lions. Like it's a cool thing, and we're like, I don't want people to get the idea that you know hunters or you know, conservation-minded hunters or anybody else are like want cougars gone from the no. landscape. No, and that's like, just one problem. We love seeing them as much as anybody else, right? Like, uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. great when hunters are talking about seeing a lion and just like that experience and being excited about it and thinking it's cool because it is. Um, they're a pretty special animal. I'm glad we have them. Yeah. I w- um, yeah, I one I 100 agree, and it and it probably that's a great that's a great lead-in. However. There might be a few too many cougars. Yeah, yeah. If that happened to you, like every time you went turkey hunting, that's yeah, <laughs> right. Right, or, You're right. You know, like we have every day. It's like somebody's calling. Yeah, I got a lo- got one on my ring doorbell. We get a lot of those. They've been a boon for cougar sightings for sure. Um, um, you know, trail camera stuff, tracks and driveways. Yeah, people spotting right. them. You know, we had one kill a, a cat. It attacked a dog, a Great Pyrenees, not a small dog. Um, got away from the dog and instead of just like fleeing to the forest which was surrounded the house and the farm um ran across the front porch and dove on their house cat oh my god like, that was like that was trying to get in the door of their house and they didn't know what was going on they opened the door and the cat and the lion like collapsed into their threshold into their house they were slamming the door on it to get it out of course the cat was a goner um and it was like a you know 70 pound well you know two-year-old tomcat um too many stories like that and just like cats too close and cats too comfortable. Yeah. It's just so, you know, people just need to understand that you can't manage one thing without managing the other. There's, there's a give and take and a push and pull with everything. So if you're going to be managing and hunting undulates, you know, you need to be doing the predators also. And, you know, it's just a ha- having a good, solid, happy balance is the is the main uh, focus, and I think what most people want. I mean, you do get the few people that were like, you know, eradicate all those, you know, whatever those. Sure. Are. But for I the agree. most part, I think hunters now understand that you know having a happy ecosystem where everything is well managed, um, you know, is is advantageous to everyone. Um, but we're, we're starting to get, you know, bring us to what we're, we're supposed to be talking about here today. Um, we're starting to see this skewed thing going on over there, this skewed effect where the mountain lion population and really predator population over there too. Cause I believe bears are from, I was, uh, doing some research on that bears were on the rise, uh, a lot in that area as well. Um, which are decimating or or at least adding to the decline in the elk and deer herd over there in the blue mountains um yeah i'm going to turn it over to charles here because i know he's did a little bit more research on it and has some specific questions so yeah so i've been i generally develop the actions that we take on on hall for wildlife so obviously that involves me learning as much as i can about about what's about what's going on and the blue mountain elk herd 
which I, I know you're fully aware of, um, but there was a, a I guess, a, a study or a research or whatnot that was released. And um, I believe there was 125 elk calves that were GPS collared. And through this winter, and actually, I think there's a possibility there might not be any left now through the winter because when they got that data, I think it was at the beginning of the winter. But anyway, there was nine elk calves left. And the the research says that of the 125, 77 died due to predation, which mountain lions were responsible for, what was it, 55 or 56 of them? And then bear, wolf, coyote, bobcat were responsible for the others. So there's there's that set of research there's that set of data and but then there was a proposal apparently based on that to help with that situation to add a second mountain lion tag because the idea is there's too many mountain lions they're killing too many elk let's add a second mountain lion tag and hopefully that'll make things better now i'm fully aware that without proper method of take which to me would be hound hunting. That's the most efficient way to, to take a mountain lion um, without that being legal, which it's not in Washington, not for the everyday hunter um, without raising quotas um, to, to, to match how many mountain lions are, are out there that, you know, I realize the second mountain lion tag isn't going to do much, might do a little bit. And the way I look at it is it's something that we would want that hunters would want in Washington down the road, especially if we can get some other options, you know, down the road um, to to be included in the mountain lion hunting season. So, um, I know you know all about this, so I'll kind of leave it to you to to start. You know, what do you have to yeah. say about the about what do you have to say about the situation with the elk and, and mountain lion and and everything you know. Well, I mean, I, I, I sort of agree with what you're saying. Like the, the quota is the quota, right? Um, that's how many lions can be harvested, killed out of that area. Um, the opportunity for a, a single hunter to kill two cats. Um, I think that's fine. I, I, I support that. Um, I don't think it's going to make any real difference, right? It's a pretty, it's going to be negligible difference if, yep. if, if a hunter happened to kill two rather than one like i don't think that means much um i support the opportunity though if if there's some you know person that's really keen to spend their time cougar hunting and they get one early and they want to continue that i think that's great um there's enough cats down there for you know i don't feel like that person would be a game hog or something by doing that um so but i, I don't think it's going to be effective at addressing the real the problem with you know, calf mortality, those, I mean, those calf returns as, you know, you don't have to be a biologist to know that that return, um, if that continues, that herd is doomed. It, that's not sustainable. I, I got a quick um, question for you before you go on. So can I, do you know what the numbers are? Do you know what, um, what the threshold is or the, um, the limit is that they, or excuse me, quota is that they have set? And do you know how many they were actually taking? Off the top of my head, I don't know that. Um, I did hear that the quota was not reached. Um, so despite, you know, people's interest in cougar hunting or whatever else, they did not reach that, the threshold to shut the season. Um, mm -hmm. John, do you mean for, obviously, you mean for mountain lion? Yes, for mountain lion. Yeah, did they do, so, so do, is there, you know, yeah. is it 2,000 animals and we're only killing 1500 what's the case do you know what, what that is either one so the quotas are actually different for i think like each unit so that there's different okay. there's different um units and different quotas and i think there was only one unit that met its quota okay. i don't and that and that quota i think was insanely low also i'm just kind of making up numbers right now but let's just say it's five. Oh wow it, yeah. it would it, it was something like that um Let's see. Let's six or six. yeah. There's different PMUs. There's different units, and um, yeah, it's like five or six. Uh, one of them is ten. 
And anyways, um, only one of the three PMUs, and that's the Unit 10, met the quota before the end of uh, last year's winter winter season or this year's winter season. Um, so that's it to kind of answer that. They're, they're a little different, though, depending on the units. So, so just to very clarify, low quotas, though. Very low quotas. Let's yeah. And ve- yeah, and very low hunter success. I mean, every, you know, right. most well, most people in Washington buy the kind of big game package. It comes, you know, deer, elk, bear, cougar. You get to select your weapon, do different things. But a bear and elk tag, or I'm sorry, the the bear and cougar tag are just kind of add-ons, right? But they become as a package, and most people have one of those in their pocket. Um, they just don't really have the occasion to use it, and there's not that many people that are effective at you know, boot hunting, you know, spot and stock bears or, you know, calling cougars or tracking them or whatever it might look like, um, by killing these animals. Right. So and obviously, I don't know if you guys have been in the blues, like I've no. elk hunted in the blues several times and I've killed elk down there. It's a really special place. It's cool landscape, um, steep and deep, um, rugged country. Um, you know, cougar hunting in there just by foot is, it would be a big job. It would be hard. Gotcha. And it, it's not, it's not very open either to, to glass and, you know. Yeah. You know, there it's, it's like a lot of places in the West that are kind of on that cusp for moisture. Um, you know, the North slopes will be pretty heavily wooded, but some of those South and West facing slopes are pretty open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of brush, but grass and brush and things like that. So there's the possibility, but I mean, you're not, not glass and cougars anyway. Right. Well, I mean, so that, and the reason why I'm asking is because, like, here in Arizona, um, you know, cougars are usually, or lions are usually uh, a, a game of opportunity. Uh, but we, so my my guides and myself, between between us, we typically glass up three to four lions a year. Really? Um, yeah, but we're glassing. We're glassing a lot for coos deer, you know, so we spend a lot of time behind the binoculars looking in the same country that they would be occupying. Um, so I, I'm just, that's why I'm asking. I don't know if it's, you know, if that method is there and pe- that people are, um, what's the word, motivated, I guess, to go lion hunting specifically, maybe that. Yeah. I mean, lion densities and down there i think anybody that glassed a cougar it would be like you said sort of opportunistic right, right. they're glassing for elk they're glassing for deers bears or something else mm-hmm. I, I i doubt there's very many people down there specifically using that technique exactly. but so, i mean people people call for them you know you can you can walk a cougar down if you find a fresh track and are motivated you can start walking and catch up to them and you know i'm learning from my research they'll, they, they'll give you an opportunity to shoot if you Stay on them long enough. Oh yeah, just play some radio, uh, talk radio, and <laughs> right? you can get ten yards from them. <laughs> yeah, I haven't tried sneaking up on one. I wonder if it would be more concerned with my presence if I was like I, I think acting so. sneaky. I think I so. I, would. I bet if I like crept in there, I bet it would be way more unnerved by my presence. I I, I would guarantee you so because I mean think about like deer. If I throw a white T-shirt on and I walk around and pick up stones and stuff, I could do circles around the mule deer, and it's not going to run. But the second yeah. I kind of like hunch over and make myself look predatory or whatever, he's gone. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised if that is not the case. So in the in the blues, um, now that goes into Oregon, and that also goes into Idaho as well, right? Right. Yep. Okay, Oregon, you cannot use dogs to hunt. Idaho, you can't. That's right. Is there a difference on the Idaho side? Is there a marked difference on the Idaho side? And do people do people actually utilize it and, and hound hunt there? Is that it? Do you know? Is there anything to that? You, you understand what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. Um, I don't know as much about that area. I know people do hound hunt, and the you know right across the border, um, Oregon and and Washington down there in the blues. Um, and they find lions and kill them. I don't know what they know about the elk down there. I don't know that much. Um, but where I live and work is right along the border with Idaho. Um, and the panhandle unit has a long hound hunting opportunity, December 1st till I think like March 31st. Um, no female quota, um, 
they still, I mean, I, we still guide hunts up here. We still find cougars. There's still, we still find lots of females, um, mature toms, what, what I think is probably a healthy cougar population. Um, and you know, non-residents from Washington flock over here. They buy the tags out by, you know, 10 AM on the day that they go to go on sale to hunt the panhandle. Mm -hmm. Um, the hunting over here is better. The harvest, you know, harvest statistics show that. You know, hunter success is higher. They're killing more elk, killing more deer. Um, they're managing their predators in a very different schema. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Well, you can use dogs also. Um, right. So, back with just to kind of explain it a little bit. Obviously, with those with the calf mortality rate or survival rate, which is very low, um, that's not sustainable. And that elk herd would be, would be decimated. What then, and this is possibly speculation or whatnot, but I'd, I'd like your opinion. Where would, what then would those mountain lion feed on and where would they go? And would that, you know, it, it's, I know it happens in, in different places and in different environments. Um, you know, they'll get closer to people or they'll move on to obviously to another herd or another species or, you know, I mean, obviously they, they kill multiple species. They're not just, they're not just elk killers, but my point is, you know, if, if we aren't managing the lion numbers and they get too large, that could also have, have a negative effect on the lions themselves. If they, sure. if they, if they run through all the prey, right. Because right. then what, how much you know, there's going to be less food for them and too many of them to feed. You understand what I'm getting at? I understand. Um, that's yeah. the, and that's, you know, that's my biggest argument against this idea about like predators self-regulating, um, you know, and the argument is like, well, we didn't used to do this and the, there was always been predators in the landscape and that's, that's true. Um, but now there's people on the landscape and now we pay attention to all of the species populations and monitor that stuff and um you know kind of our natural inclination is to like that sort of balance and a fairly static population so we know what to expect so when we step away from managing you know any one of those species whether it's predators or you know ungulates deer whatever um we're going to start seeing that population become much more dynamic and that gets ugly right when i say dynamic that means like you just said Prey populations dipping to the point that cougars start causing trouble. Cougars potentially start, you know, killing each other, interspecific, you know, mortality. Um, you start seeing, you know, cats in yards eating pets and things like that. The cats aren't going to starve to death right away. They're going to sort things out for a while. But you're going to see that population dip and track also. And then correspondingly, you'd see the deer and elk population try to rebound and then the cougars would follow. Um, I mean, there's fascinating, like, research on lynx and snowshoe hare that show that exact dynamic and these big, just huge swings in the population. Yeah, spike and plummet, um, spike and plummet, yeah. Yes. You know, and the, the you know, lynx and, and snowshoe hares, they track so much more closely. It's nice and neat to watch, right? That's over, you know, every half a decade or something. But you start seeing that with cougars and elk, and it might take longer. It might be, a you know, 10-year swings. But nonetheless, like, start seeing think things get ugly right um mm. for hunters you know for people that want to eat deer and elk and feed that to their families which i am one of them um and also for the people that care about predators are there any options that you can talk about are there any options in washington without you know, cause there's bans on hound hunting and, and, you know, are there any options that are available, whether through emergency, um, procedure or through tribes, I know there's different rules for tribes, um, to, um, to manage mountain lions. So currently as is with the laws that are on the books, are there options that can be dipped into that you can talk about? Um, not a whole bunch of options there are you know there's language in the wolf plan about species at risk um which i was i was really close with um the mountain caribou project up here and i watched that herd eventually disappear due to predation um 
and a big portion of that was cougars and a portion of that was wolves and people really got hung up on the wolves but there's an opportunity to use the wolf plan to remove wolves that are impacting um, species at risk so if the elk population got low enough to that point there could be that option for for wolves for cougars um because this was a voter initiative you know this wasn't like wdfw commission rules to make hound hunting illegal um the state's a little more um, hamstrung on that they can't do a lot um, they can lift quotas and do different things like that um but i think the really you know the powerful impact would come from tribes exercising their treaty rights in that area there's a couple of tribes that have treaty rights in that area they could go um they could take you know hound handlers in and capture you know catch and kill lions in the blue mountains you know off their reservation but in their treaty area and kind of mm. take that management into their own hands and there's so and, you and so i don't know can... if that's a conversation that they're having or not i suspect they're you know I know this isn't like a surprise to them, right. um, to anybody, but, um, you know, the tribes hunt in the blues also, and they really care about those elk down there. So I, I suspect it's on the radar, but I don't know if there's any, uh, any action that way yet. So they don't necessarily need to have their own dogs. They could, they could use anybody with a dog. It's just, they have to be the ones doing the killing. Is that my yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I would expect that to be the case. You know, I'm I'm a hound handler, but I'm also in this situation where I'm, you know, I'm working for another tribe and things like that. I probably wouldn't go down there as a contractor, but um, that could happen. I don't, I don't know why that couldn't happen. And I think that, you know, the enforcement staff and the enforcement agency being the WDFW would probably have a pretty hard time, um, you know, dealing with that you know managing that like all right is this this is a tribal hunter you know, so the person that has dogs is not a tribal member like i don't it just muddies the water and i don't really know i don't know do, that rule well enough to you know or try or do, do tribes run their own dog is that is that lots of oh yeah there's lots of tribal hound oh, hunters okay. um i mean there's like the colville tribe has some of the best towns around um got it got okay it. okay yeah so that's uh, sort of the, that's, that's kind of one solution. Well, I don't know. That I mean, seems like a temporary solution to me. It's like, okay, yeah. well, let's, let's knock them down. But you know, five years from now when they rebound back up, cause there's no continual management plan in place, then, you know, I mean, that's yeah. definitely a way to get us to where we need to be right, right from the get go without, you know, jumping through the, uh, political hoops that need to happen right now to get, but, there definitely needs to be some kind of a, you know, long-term management plan that will effectively keep the populations where they need to be, you know, I don't, right. so. Right. And I don't, yeah. And I, know I don't from, know what that looks like. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there might be ways to incentivize state hunters also. And I don't know what that looks like if like, you know, foundation for wildlife management got involved and, expanded what they have now as a wolf program to cougars um and there are probably ways that they could increase harvest you know incentivizing it with reimbursements or whatever else um, mm -hmm. i don't know if those conversations are happening though yeah, i've heard of one option of making somehow making um a uh the mountain lion mountain lion a small game animal which would know. then which would then open it up to night hunting. Mm -hmm. So then that would make it much easier for those quotas to at least be reached at the very least, because it'd be open to night hunting. Okay. Um, I have heard that option. I just stuff I've heard. Um, yeah, I think I would get a ton of pushback. Um, yeah, our, that's our commission. Yeah. Half of the commission or most of the commission probably be like, eh, I don't know about that. That's a stretch. Yeah. Certainly would. I, I think, you know, we need to hold them to the fire. Like, okay, you're against this, but you need to look at the elk herd. You know, what's the hierarchy? You're, you're, you're displaying a, a hierarchy of animals here, you know? So you're fine with all these animals dying. And, and you're saying you want to protect these animals, but like what we just talked about, eventually, if you keep this up, these animals are going to die too. Yeah. And what's interesting is obviously through depredation, since it's you know hound hunting's been banned and all that 
lions still die. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just, there's it's no, just not a hunter saying, doing there's it. no value. Yeah, yeah. There's, but there's no value and they get tossed and they're not used as food, you know, down the road, you know, they're, they're still dying. And somebody's um, getting paid to kill them versus you paying for the opportunity to kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Well, and in the, in the meantime, you know, there's some family out there that's losing a pet or livestock or having this encounter that's unnerving um, that leads to the death. So there's just, there's a social component as well. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sorry. That kind of like a disproportionate attention to predators is a frustrating one. And, um, you know, just like whatever, some real simple math about that. And like Northeast Washington, we have a, hunter success rate for white-tailed deer around 25 percent um so you know for every 100 hunters 25 deer die um elk success is even lower it's around like five percent for general elk hunters um so there's really well documented and published data about cougar hunting and mortality rates on on deer or the, you know their predation rates and a a adult cougar kills about 50 deer per year and that's like defensible science mm -hmm. um so when you just look at like simple this is very basic like you know not super sciencey but one cougar then represents 200 licensed deer hunters yep and this and you know if a cougar kills approximately 20 elk a year which is also you know pretty close represents also about 200 elk hunters um so this kind of disproportionate interest in, you know, predators and cougars has a big effect on, on hunters. You know, every cougar on the landscape is, you know, taking as much as 200 licensed deer hunters. Um, that matters. You know, it matters how many cats are out there. So trying to get that, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how you get that message across to well, here's an even more impactful way to put it. How many cougars does uh, do you guys um, estimate that you have in in Washington? Um, a lot. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what they've just changed their kind of density estimates, but um, nobody really knows. There's not a. We haven't. We don't have a good you don't. handle on that. We don't have a sense of that. Um, there's really good data coming out of Montana. Mm -hmm. um, showing densities as high as like five and a half cougars per hundred kilometers squared. So, you know, pretty high over there. I think Washington's showing something like they were at 2.2 and then they just bumped it up to 3.1. Um, but it's, I think cougars are probably not their, their densities are not well understood here. Well, I know what, you guys, what would be I, the minimum, what would be the minimum number? 3000. 3,000. 3, okay, there okay. you go, John. I know right. what you're going to do. Yeah. So, yeah, 3,000 times 50. That's 150,000 deer and elk being killed a year. 150,000. That is yeah. a lot. And yeah, if our eclipse is what hunters harvest. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly it's, it's what I was going to ask you next. Everything that you just talked about was, was perfect. Because I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, you know, how accurate is it that a mountain lion kills a deer every week? And it's kind of the argument I've been using. Like, listen, it, even if we get this second tag, I know there's guys there that get a mountain lion every single year, the same guys, mm -hmm. and they could probably get a second one. So let's just say, you know, they got overall. There's just throwing a number out there. There's five more mountain lions killed. Do the math on the deer. There is a positive there, you know, you're, you're, you're saving, you're saving, you're saving 250 deer, you know, and it's, and it's just, it's a step in the right direction is all is the only way I'm looking at this, but, but that's exactly what I was going to talk to you about. And you just, you just filled it right in. That was perfect. So, oh, great. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think even more so, and Charles, you and I have talked about this and you started touching on it on, in the beginning is this second tag is something that is needed later on if we ever get the management plan that we we hope to have to 
take it. So it's like, it's one of the things that has to happen anyway. And if they're willing to do it now, let's get it done. Let's get it out of the way. There's no, there's no, um, you know, downside. There's no downside to it, to having a second tag. Cause let's just say I'm one of those morons that would buy two tags, even though the chances of me filling one are probably slim to none. <laughs> I would probably buy it just to have it in my, on the off chance sure. that I see a pair out there or something. Maybe, I don't know, right. but th- that's extra money. That's going towards wildlife management because there's more tag sales possibly. And like you said, even if three people get, they kill three more lions because of this, ta- of the tag situation, that's still 150, you know, deer and elk that you yeah. saved. So, like, yeah. I don't see the downside. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's a. I, don't, I I agree with what you're saying. Um, I think the 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 hang up for some people is that they feel like um that's that's all the state wants to do is like, all right, well, we'll give you this, and then oh, it's, it's just, like a pacifier. I get it. Yeah, right, right. I think they're they they have concerns that that's all that's going to happen to address this problem, um, and. You know, they want more. Like, they, no, they think you, it's a step in the right direction, but they also, they know that, like, yeah, that it's probably going to be negligible to address this right. real issue in the blues. But you, um, you, you so use that to your advantage. So they're just afraid that they think, <laughs> right, right, yeah, well, you should, we should take what we can get, right? But, um, but and not we just that, also try though. to get some more. Not yeah. just that. It's a tool for you to, to, to go back to them and say, hey, listen, you gave us the extra tag. We told you it probably wasn't going to do much of anything, but we're happy you did it. Here we are mm-hmm. two two years later, and we're in the same situation that we were before. We still haven't met our quotas. What do we do next? And the elk herds are in, in a worse situation right. now. Right, exactly. And right. hopefully we can talk people into realizing this before it gets worse. But at a certain point, it's going to get really bad, and people are going to have to either face the truth, whether they, whether it's, you know, they agree with the hunting of, of predators or not, they're going to say, well, something needs to be done. I mean, you know, do we care about elk or not? Do we care about ungulates or not? Um, and you know, hopefully we, we don't have to get to that point. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, but I was really pleased to hear, you know, that the WDFW did get, another a big batch of collars out. I don't know if it's 125 um, on calves again, but it was a bunch of like somewhere close to that, like a hundred or something. Um, so there are, they're collaring calves and continuing the study. So, you know, the data is going to continue to come in. And if it continues to track the way that it is, that argument only becomes more compelling. Um, mm. So I'm glad that this project is, you know, got some long-term, you know, data components. Yeah, that's that's great news. I didn't know that. That's great. Yep. Um, well, we are just for the sake. Of, we're probably going to release this really soon because this issue is coming up to speak about it on Saturday. So just so just real quick um, for people that are listening, you can get involved in also the spring bear issue, but also this mountain lion second tag issue. You can get involved and speak at the commission meeting. It's on Saturday for the lion issue. Friday, they are speaking about the spring bear issue. Um, but on our website, halforwildlife.org, go to the calendar. It's the only event that's on there now. But you have to pre-register with the department, with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. There's links on there to do that if you want to speak on these issues. So I just wanted to throw that in real quick. It's... Absolutely. Do you know when that registration ends? When does that close? It it closes if you want to speak on Friday. It closes at eight a.m. on that Friday. If you want to speak on Saturday, it's it closes at eight a.m. on that Saturday. Okay. Um, obviously, you can go and and register right now for um, both of those days or whatnot, and um, and you'll be registered for that. And you just have to. It's a drop down menu. You put your name in. It's a drop down menu where you pick the dates, and then there's a section where it asks you what agenda you want to speak on. So if it's the mountain lion agenda, I think that's, I don't know, agenda 12 on Saturday. If it's the spring bear issue, they're only allowing the open public comment to speak on that. It's not, it's not um, when they are speaking about that specific agenda. So it kind of makes it a little better because 
at the beginning of each meeting on Friday and Saturday, the first thing they do is open public comment. So you don't have to wait around for them to get to it. You'll be able to get your comments in about spring bear first thing in the morning. And you can do that on Friday and Saturday, but you have to pre-register for that as well. But this is also a hybrid meeting. So if you are, if you can make it to Spokane, I think it's in Spokane this time, um, you can, you can show up in person as well. So it's been a number of years because of COVID where you can actually go in person. And uh, so now they have that combined with Zoom. Great. And I think, I mean, if, if people have an opinion on this stuff, they should register and just, you know, do their two minutes. It doesn't have to be eloquent. doesn't have to be fancy. Um, be polite. But um, our commission has a whole bunch of things going on right now, but they have over time been pretty responsive to those um to the public input at the meetings. Um, you know, I've, I have seen changes made based on, you know, single commission meetings where there was a large contingent that showed up with the same message. So, um, yeah, if you have an opinion on this, I would encourage you to sign up and, you know, spend a couple minutes and just, you know, tell them what you think. Hey, Charles, and I'm not sure about this because I, I was disconnected from it. Are, are, is Howl for Wildlife, are we doing any kind of uh, pregame meeting zoom for for this issue to educate people that want to be involved or or we we haven't had that put in place for this i'm gonna one. i'm gonna try to um i'm gonna try to do that either wednesday or thursday this week okay. and uh i'll i'll send out a if i can if i can organize that if i have time to do it yeah it'll be either wednesday or thursday and it's basically just going over um exactly the the instructions of how to do this what the issues are and we also have a bunch of talking points up to give people some ideas on what to speak about um just you know different subjects we have your video uh, bart that you did with Giannis, which okay. is great uh, yeah. for people to watch um just you know some some different resources for people to learn about the issue a little more so great yeah, awesome. hopefully hopefully we are well represented there yeah gotta get out there yeah guys. i think uh, <laughs> i think we will be um bart for me uh thank you this is this has been awesome i've i've learned a lot and uh thank you so much for for coming on this podcast and and doing this with us today yeah of course anytime yeah thank you thank you very much all right yeah. well um we'll uh we'll stay in touch and let you know what uh hopefully well, i'm sure you'll know because you're part of it there but uh we'll see what happens hopefully uh we can progress something forward and and ultimately come to a more long-term, um, you know, plan of action here. So awesome. Yeah, thank for... you guys. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. You too. Take care. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.